0: You're listening to Sober Exposure with me, Jennifer Wilde. If it's about recovery, we're going to cover it. It's like a big group therapy session, but it's free. (gasps) Welcome to Sober Exposure with me, Jennifer Wilde. Let's go. All right, family, welcome. Welcome to Sober Exposure. It's Jennifer Wilde. Man, I just gotta tell you how psyched I am for today. I, I mean, I'm psyched every day. I'm a little more psyched because I just got the coolest nail polish. <laughs> it's like this really, really bright orange, and it just makes me happy. So, anyway, no, no, it's actually because of my guest, really. And what what I wanted to do is there's a reason. There's always a mission behind my madness. And so I work at a rehab center, and I was talking to this dude. I was trying to help him, and he comes into the office and he's like, so like, I'm just, I'm just sitting here and I'm tripping out because I don't know. I was thinking about how I'm, how am I going to stay sober at my daughter's wedding? You know, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to stay. And he's sitting here obsessing about how he's going to stay sober at his daughter's wedding. And I look at him, I'm like, I've, I've known you a couple of weeks now. We've been in a lot of groups together. I didn't know you had a daughter. He's like, well, I I don't have a daughter, but I plan on having a daughter. I don't know how I'm going to stay sober during her wedding. <laughs> so it's like, you know, just how we as addicts just totally progress, you know, uh, just, just obsess, not progress. Well, we do progress with our disease too. And we'll talk about that, but obsess the bullshit, you know, it's like, how do we, how do we stop the chatter? How do we shut up, you know, and, and how we can stay sober what we're going to do is talk about how we can stay sober under any circumstances, because I have a dude on the line that actually has to stay sober under any circumstances, because if you go on his Instagram page, he's like hanging out with Corey Taylor. There's pictures of him with Ozzy. He's hosting concert events. I've got, um, this guy I worked with when I worked in radio because they shipped me to Florida from Cleveland to rehab. And I ended up working at this radio station, the buzz. And I met this little little kid named Jeremy Loper, who was like twelve at the time. I'm just kidding. You you had reached puberty, I think. But I think <laughs> He was like this child prodigy. The kid was like a genius. And I think the last time you and I hung out, Jeremy, you were like 18. We got you into this strip club. And then we went to my apartment and we were swimming in a pool, like drinking and doing lines. And I don't know, but I think that's the last time I saw you. And that was like 1999, maybe 2000. Am I right?
1: That's kind of of crazy. And obviously they don't have labor laws in, in the state of Florida. I was very young to be working at the Buzz. It's so great to be on your show. And yeah, I think that was the last time, uh, well, we probably really hung out, hung out. And I remember that night. It was amazing. There were some other, uh, there's a cast of characters who will, will protect their identity and will remain nameless. But, you know, as the story goes, not much has changed except for, uh, I don't lay around drunk anymore.
0: Yeah. And, and, okay. So, that's interesting. So you're still the same, Jeremy, just minus the, now, first of all, I have to preface by saying that that night, I guess I was so into my own thing. And I mean, I've talked about my, you know, my disease and my story and I went dark, like I went dark. I was like behind the dumpster doing things like I went down. All right. Um, I'm. You were already out of town when my mugshot was all over the news. Uh, that oh. was pretty. Um. But I had no idea that that you even had a problem. You were like little. You were like little sweet Jeremy. Like I had no idea. So I, I want to hear a little bit about like your journey. And did you know then that you had a problem? Like when did you discover you had a problem?
1: Well, you know, it's like all fun and games in the beginning. You know, just like anyone else, I guess. Uh, I, I was really young and doing radio. I was on the radio like at seventeen. And things were just kind of easy for me in that regard. Uh, You know, getting into concerts, you know, it's like everybody's dream at that age, right? Uh, I'll never forget forget the day I turned 21 in West Palm, like all these bars that I went to, I was like, you know, telling everyone it was my 21st birthday and they're all looking at me in shock. Meanwhile, I've been drinking in those bars for like six years. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah. They're like, dude, I've been serving you. I've been serving you since you were 12. You're You're telling me you're 21 tonight.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, it's my birthday, you know, but so I just, I think I was right out of the gate. I, I just, I had everything at my fingertips and I decided to push the access button. And the, one of the things that I remember the most was, you know, I felt like for the most part I had it under control for a while. You know, like we were just having fun, you know, you can convince yourself forever that you know you're going down this road and we're just having fun. You know, I'm just getting I'm young. Come on. Relax. And there was a point where after like a few times of just having just outrageous nights and like I I think I didn't show up for work or something insane like that. Uh I had like a real coming to Jesus meeting at work with like all of these people uh, that I had partied with. And, uh, one of our buddies, <laughs> the metal one, uh-huh. uh, he, he sort of, uh, was brought into an office situation where he was like, Hey, yeah, you know, you can't be around Loper anymore, or, you know, you're going to, your situation's going to be in jeopardy. And so like all of the people that I was hanging out with all of a sudden were kind of, taken away from me in a way, you know, like I didn't, on on the weekend, I didn't have the same people that I, I would go to, to, you know, party or, or, you know, we would go out to concerts or whatever. I had to kind of what you were saying at that point, I really, when I think back, that was a real pivotal moment because I had gone to a point of partying and just taking excess to, to such a scale that, there were rules being laid down about other people hanging around me. <laughs> I mean, it was just like when I think about it, I'm like, this is insane. Like, like the the writing was all over yeah. the wall. So I, like you said, I kind of went underground, and you know, all of a sudden, like you know, I'm spending the evening with somebody I've never met, blowing coke for eight hours at a time and on some couch, and you know, God knows where in Delray Beach. You know, it, it was just really weird, and I would show back up on Monday having. I felt the same way that I did when I part, you know, partied with everybody else. But, you know, I was in these really dangerous situations. And it seemed like at that moment was when I really think about it was like when things really started to change and get dark. That's
0: when you crossed over. That's when I I say you turned into a pickle from a cucumber to a pickle. That's the old analogy that once you, you know, once you're a pickle from a cucumber, you can never go back to a cucumber. And, so you were hanging out with all the these underground people because none of the like so much normies or maybe the ones that just like partied and had fun and kind of abused the shit. They they really don't want to hang out with you anymore because you're just like over the top and weird. They're just like we don't want to hang out with, with Loper anymore. Like it's not cool.
1: Yeah, I had I had reached the point where I was hanging out with all of these people that were like my childhood idols. Like all these guys that were on the classic rock station. I looked up to these guys. I thought they were gods. And, you know, for like a year or two or three or whatever, we were all super tight. And then all of a sudden, like when the cutoff happened, like no one wanted me around. Like I was, I was like the black plague. Yeah. And so obviously, you know, that hurts and you're trying to process that. But at the same time, being so young, I was like, you know, whatever, on to the next thing. And, you know, having, you know, looking back, if I could have really taken that time to maybe get it together things would have been a little bit different, but you know, all in all my situation, I feel really lucky because I feel like I made it out, you know, yeah, because then there, there's a lot of people that don't
0: things still like, it seems like you step in shit everywhere. Like you just kept stepping in shit. Um, because so that was happening and then everybody's losing their jobs and getting fired from, from radio jobs and everything. And then, okay. Then what happens?
1: jeremy's doing too many so, drugs nobody wants I, to talk
0: to him and then
1: i'm on the radio and i fall asleep i fell asleep and it was like just absolutely terrible <laughs> like i fell asleep and the the girl who was on the station across from me she runs over and she like wakes me up and i you know i, I get up i finish out my shift whatever a few minutes later the uh the guy who was like uh, second in command, the assistant program director, comes walking in, relieves me from my shift. The next thing I know, I'm uh, scheduled to go to rehab <laughs> and for the first time. CBS Radio is going to pay for it. Hanley Hazleton in West Palm Beach. And I was barely 21 years old. And it was, uh, it was like <laughs> uh, kind of a pun. It was a sobering reality because I realized that. I had strapped on to this rocket ship that was life and hit the throttle so hard that at 21, when most people are just coming out of their shell to explore life, I would had already landed in rehab with these dudes that were like 40 and 50 years old that had been doing it for right. years. And so you you would have thought that would have been a, enough, but of course, you know, that, that was, was just wasn't. the beginning.
0: Well, if yeah, I mean, I, and I can, I can relate and, um, I am compassionate and that that's going to be another um that's going to be another podcast because you're never you're never too young to get clean. Uh, I I stepped into my first uh rehab at 17. So, you know, I get oh, wow. it and I see people all the time now at meetings with like that are my age and they have like 40 years. I'm like, "40 years? What, you got sober when you were 10?" you know, and cuz they they got it the first time, you know. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, yeah, I, yeah. I have, I have nothing, um, like that as far as time. And I went, I went into my first meeting when I was 17 and we all know I'm only 25. So, <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, um, all right. So how did it go at Hanley? Were you like, this is bullshit. Were you not ready? Um,
1: no, I was good. I was good. And I got out and I was sober for like three months. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I moved in with this girl who's my wah, friend,
0: wah, wah, the girl, and,
1: Yeah. So she was just a friend and like, you know, she was um, a normal person, not in in the program or anything. And so she would have parties, you know, from time to time. And I would just kind of come out. I thought, you know, I was strong enough in my sobriety that I was like, I, you know, I can, I could take it. I didn't want to move back home. My mom. And (laughs) so I was like, I'm definitely not doing that. And so I was out there and I, you know, I, I lasted three months and then I started to have a couple of beers. And then immediately I did some right. That's right. <laughs> and then it was, and then I was backseat, but this was the most dangerous time because this was, uh, I was totally underground. I had to keep it, you know, cause they had just paid for me to go to rehab. And so I was, you know, hanging out in places that no one else I knew hung out. I was hanging out like mostly with like 1% biker guys. It was just absolutely to the max, you know? And It was scary at times. It was really scary and just like, you know, questionable morality choices. And that went on, I would say, probably for another six months or so. And then finally, uh, I was supposed to be at work and I just did not make it. And I had to call into the boss. And I was so ashamed at that point after everything had Yeah. Ultimate and powerlessness.
0: And that. I, I, I must tell you that, uh, that particular boss I've had to call into a couple times myself and, um, uh, so he, yeah. He's he's dealt with the, with that shit before. But anyway. No, actually you were first, so that's great. All right. So you had to
1: call to the But I but I but I did the unthinkable. Like I quit over the phone. Like I I just I was so ashamed. I didn't want to go in there and face anybody. Mm-hmm. I was so like humiliated because I just knew that every you know, everyone was gonna know exactly what had happened. And I didn't really understand like the full brevity of it uh until after I quit. And uh I was able to uh well, I sat out for like a month and uh, that's, uh, I got on down at Zeta in Miami mm-hmm. and I really, you know, going back to, you know, you always think things are going to be different, you know, same, same square, same, same round hole, trying to shove it in there. I, I go down there and everything's cool. You know, I get back on the air, you know, kind of had, had a little bit of uh, a chip on my shoulder. I wanted to, to prove that I still had right. it and that, you know, I hadn't lost the step and down there it was fine i was filling in but it was the worst for me because i was farther away from my actual base so down there no one knew me and that's even and scarier I could, go that out I could
0: do anything i want and nobody's gonna know yeah.
1: because nobody knows my deal no yeah exactly so you know i'm going to like staff parties and all this stuff and you know doing all the same shit you know like oh well before you know I made some mistakes but this time I'm not going to go and make an ass out of myself I can go and right my (laughs) wrongs. just go drink like an adult don't worry and you know of course the first time you know I'm like completely like almost blackout drunk at a party in front of everyone I just started working with and you know you wake up the next morning you have those feelings of just complete humiliation Mm -hmm. so that went on for a few months and I worked down there for you know uh I think probably about six months or so And that's when I found out that I had a little boy on the way and I had to make a really tough decision. And so I took, I uprooted until he was born and I came up to Ohio and uh, I I got a place around my grandparents and just kind of, uh, and just, settled down i didn't sober up okay but so let me ask down. you this
0: ohio uh okay child on the way uh um is this now i i honestly don't know this i happen to know that you have children and you're married to a beautiful woman that you work with and i think about this all the time how the hell do you live with her and work with her and, <laughs> and sleep with her and do her and kids together and everything? oh my
1: yeah. god I love you her bust. a lot. You have to love her a
0: lot. <laughs> but was this, was this the, this was a different woman, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this is a different person. And uh, yeah. So like, and this was just a total mistake. You know, this was just somebody that uh, I had, uh, you know, come across and gotten entangled with and uh, it was just a really bad person and, for me. Okay. And not so- not surprising it happened in addiction. Yeah, and so I, uh, I I moved around the country with this person. I was able to well, once my son was born, um, you know, I was anxious to get. I was working for Clear Channel up in Huntington, West Virginia, and, and commuting from where I was in Southern Ohio. And so then I got offered a job in Salt Lake City, and so that was like I'm back, I'm back. <laughs> and so I moved out, did nights for two years in Salt Lake, and you know things were okay, and things were okay. Uh, still, still drinking and drugging and. Uh, I get the morning position in Ocean City, Maryland, and I go out there and I bring one of the guys from the buzz with me and we start a morning show and things were great. But I mean, you talk about some of the hardest partying I've ever been a part of. I mean, we really we just absolutely destroyed yeah, that it. The place, you know? And uh, along the way, I, then I had a daughter. So now I have two kids and I'm still not really sobering up to my responsibility. I'm taking care of my kids, you know, during the day I'm like Mr. Dad. But then like, there's this uh, other part that comes out at night <laughs> and, you know, I'm still the same guy at, in, in certain respects uh, when it came to that uh, partying. So when I, when I finally uh finished off our time in Ocean City, Maryland, uh, we, we did like I would say like six months. We worked without a contract for six months in Albany, New York, and I had just signed with my agent, Norm Schro. And so we were up in New York and then we got the call to come back home to West Palm Beach, Florida. And all the anxiety in the world, I that's all I wanted. I wanted to go back to the buzz and do mornings, right my wrongs and prove to everyone that, you know, I was you know, th- I was meant for this and not, I didn't want to be known for being the guy that was, you know, part right. of the
0: addict that failed. So, I'm better now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm grown. I'm better. Exactly. Yeah. We want to, we want to, we want to uh, just uh, share the news, spread the news. This, they say, oh God, I'm not going to, I am not going to quote the big book because there's something in the big book about that, but I'm not going to quote it because that is like so. I am not a big book dumper. I'm not going <laughs> to pretend to be one. Sometimes I like try and act like I'm one at work, but I'm not. Anyway, sorry, go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just, you know, I, I was so excited. and But at the same time, I had the most anxiety of my life because I knew that all of the people that I left, all the places and people and, and friends and all of that, uh, it was waiting on me. Like, it, this is like, you know, this is the epicenter of it all. You know, is South Florida, welcome back. And so I was really nervous, and of course, I went back, and, and things were great, and then I ran into some of the old crew, and then I was right back in the mix, not not necessarily as aggressive as the first time around, not nearly, but still, you know, there was uh, some pretty hard hangovers to deal with, and you know, and you know if we're doing morning shows, it's not that right. easy. So, you know, long story short, I was on stage at Sunfest, which is a big festival on the intercoastal in West Palm Beach for people that don't know. And I was on stage with the Mighty Mighty Boston and Dickie Barrett is the lead singer and he's such a nice guy. And I'm like annoying the shit out of this guy. I'm like talking his ear off. I'm so drunk and I'm just talking his ear off. I could tell he's annoyed, but I'm so drunk. I don't care. People around me are telling me. I remember like waking up the next day and people telling me stories about how ridiculous I was. And I could, and I couldn't, well, I just could not believe it. I'm like, here I am. Nothing's changed. You know, I remember looking in the mirror going, what a fucking idiot. Nothing has changed. You know, you, you got everything you wanted and now you came down here and you did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. And it was at that very moment I got my shit and I went to a meeting. Wow. And I was sober for, 10 years. And then, uh, yeah, and I, you know, all the way through, I met, you know, that. So getting the job at the Buzz also hooked me up with Randy. So, like CBS, uh, one of the talent agents, uh, Tony Berendini, he put us together on the show down there. And, you know, I was married at the time. She was engaged to be married. And then we both uh, had our situations uh, disperse, Mm -hmm. if you will. And then we ended up getting married. I mean, she is the light of my life uh, the children that we have, uh, Jaden and Kaylee, the older children. And then we have children of, uh, that are younger now too, uh, Mac Mackenzie, and Knox. But it,
0: it, it really uh, is. Around... You can see that it is a love story of a lifetime and they are like the, you know, Ken and Barbie on the, on the wedding cake. And she's like disgustingly cute <laughs> and it's really annoying and she's really good on the air and she's young. And I just want to throw up Jeremy. <laughs> oh, anyway,
1: uh, she uh, she was uh, she, she couldn't wait to hear everything about you. Like I was <laughs> telling her, I was like, Jen Wild was WMMS yeah. You know, because all the people up here, everybody knows yeah, MMS. Right. um But just to kind of wrap things up real quick, uh, I I just because this is the most important part. So the way that I got so well, actually two things. So the way that I got sober was. Um, I started, I I wanted to know, like, especially when I was back in West Palm, I said, who was I before all of this, before radio, before all of this. And it was martial arts. And I got back to doing my martial arts. And, you know, I, I was calling, um, uh, cage fighting my mixed martial arts. when I, when I was living out in Utah, I got back into it being a black belt. I kind of put my two skills together, broadcasting and and my knowledge of martial arts. And I wanted to take a, a more of a spiritual journey. And, I definitely lived by some Buddhist uh, philosophies, and that's what I learned when I was a kid. You know, like growing up in martial arts before radio—that's who I was. And so I got back to that, and I got certified in Tai Chi Qigong, and uh, I—I really made one of the most spiritual transformations of my life. I was sober for ten years, like I said, and in I believe it was. December of 2017 after shoulder surgery, which I, uh, all I did was, so I, I so now like I, I do, I, I smoke weed, like, uh, I have medical weed that I do smoke. And so I smoked the weed after I got, uh, my, uh, my surgery because I won't do any opiates. You know, I will not, not because I ever had a problem, but just because, I mean, like, let's be honest, yeah. <laughs> I don't have a great track record with things right, that are right, in there. right, right. So I'm like, that's the last thing I need. So, you know, I, I went for something that's a little less um, uh, long term and uh, less obviously intoxicating. And, you know, and, and I will say, you know, the medical marijuana, if if that was something that was a part of your destruction before sobriety, I, I don't suggest it for anyone. <laughs> so I, I just to be just to be very clear, like I did not smoke weed before not even like at all, because for selfish reasons, it gave me the spins when mm-hmm. I drank. You know, it's like so immature, but that was the reason I didn't do it before. So like when I, when I started to do it for medical purposes, it didn't ever bring up those feelings of like, you know, like having one drink would bring me right to that place where I'm like, let's call somebody up right. on the phone. Like it just never did that for me. It was, it was always more of like a rehab thing. So it, when I decided that, in in 17, after my surgery, I was in back in West Palm on vacation and my wife God bless her. She has no idea of what a deceptive demon I could be. So Right, because at this point,
0: she had never seen you high or fucked up because you guys got married in sobriety. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, she had never seen me drink. You know, like, uh, if anything, she, she bragged about how I didn't drink. And I just got to a place where I don't know what I was thinking. And if I can just reach one person right now and tell them, like, don't ever do this. Like, it's so important. I decided to have a drink that day. And I remember walking up and getting it. And like, I looked at it, Jim, and like, I saw like the condensation dripping off the Corona bottle. And I just thought, right now, you can throw it away. I remember that. I remember like walking past a garbage can and just thinking, like, I could throw it away. And I didn't, you know, I didn't. And, uh, and I told myself, I said, if I can go, I, I it's a, it's a six-month experiment. <laughs> How stupid is this? I go, it's a six-month experiment. And at the end of six months, if I don't like what I see, I'm done. I'm, not, I'm just going to quit again. I'm going to thank God right now that I saw the end of that six months because uh, I did not ever go back out and do cocaine or anything like that. But I did get extremely more drunk than I wanted to in front of my family on a few occasions. And looking at it, through clear eyes, it never had to happen. You know, I was already like, so who does that after 10 years? People do, people
0: do it after 30 years, 40 years. Cause you know, you weren't, you, you, you lost sight of who you were. And we have, we, we have these forgetters and, um, your alcoholism, they, they always say this and I hate these cliches, but your alcoholism was, was like getting stronger, doing pushups. While that whole 10 years you were staying sober, your alcoholism was progressing and saying,
1: I'm ready for you, Jeremy. I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, my God. Jen, you have no idea. Can I tell you what they have now? They have this thing called IPA where it's like 14% alcohol in a <laughs> beer. I, was, I mean, do not come off the couch, guys, <laughs> unless you're ready. Because, I mean, like the IPA just about slam dunked me. I was like, holy yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like the guy who could handle anything. Yeah. So if anything, stay sober just because it's dangerous in the alcohol aisle. Right. And, and that
0: feeling, that feeling, (laughs) I know so much when you were talking about that Corona and that feeling like your stomach is turning. It's like, I mean, this is the grossest analogy, but it's almost like, and I get the same thing when I walk into like, um my favorite like boutique with clothes or something. It's almost like you got to take a shit. Like you get so excited. It's yeah. like, I'm going to do it like the, right. the anxiety, but exciting anxiety. Like you're on a roller coaster and, and, and you know, you you know, you shouldn't do it, but you're going to do it. And when you, like you said, if anyone's listening, when you get to that feeling, that's when you have to have that defense Against your disease. And that's where it has to be some kind of spiritual martial. It has to be, there has to be some, something, some defense yeah. against um, the, the disease. And we're going to talk about that in, uh, in, in a second. this is Jennifer Wilde and you've got sober exposure. We are with Jeremy Loper. It's Jennifer Wilde, sober exposure, just pretty much getting naked about uh, all of our shit unloading. Yeah. Dang. And um, Jeremy was talking about after 10 years going back out, what happened, what it was like. And so you were out for how long?
1: At only six months. Here's the funny part, though. I did keep to my agreement. I said to myself, I'll give myself six months. And if things are a shit show at the end of six months, I got to be honest and just cut this out. You know, it'll be no problem. <laughs> and so somehow by the grace of God, I did. But I have a friend named John, and John I met up here in Ohio in Columbus, and John goes to concerts with me. John is that inappropriate friend when I'm backstage interviewing fans. Like, I'll be, you mentioned Corey Taylor, I'll be backstage waiting to go in the dressing room, and John shows up out of nowhere, drunk off his ass, you know, giving me hell backstage and just, you know, quote unquote embarrassing me, right? I got to a point when I was drinking, I guess. Like, I didn't think I was that bad. But everyone around me including my my quote-unquote drunk friend john everyone's like you're so different man and i knew what they meant it's because i've become more abrasive i i'm louder i'm not as polite and it's so funny because all of those things they don't necessarily trigger in your mind but as you are looking at looking at life through the lens of everyone else looking at you you know because that's a meditation i do uh I look into the mirror and I try to look at myself, looking at myself, looking at myself through my eyes and trying to see myself from outside of myself. And, you know, it's an exercise and, you know, I challenge people to do it out there. It's a way to see yourself like you, like other people do. And, you know, it's not something you could do within 10 seconds, but... Yeah, I could, I, I could understand exactly what they were so talking about. So you're saying that they say that, that, that that's that, how
0: you are more what when you're sober you're more abrasive from this. Smi- no, no,
1: no, no, no. When I oh, started okay, drinking, yeah, I went okay, from like okay. you know this person that everyone you know knew for ten years or whatever you know as as very you know, easy to get along with. Welcoming right, the right. People. Okay. Just of like, course. You know, yeah.
0: And that now all of a sudden you're an asshole. Right up. Now what's up? Yeah. Yeah
1: and, <laughs> and, yeah. and like I said, even my most drunk friend thought that. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. man, obviously, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, something's going yeah, on. Yeah. When here. the
0: town drunk that, you know, when he thinks that, uh, you know, you're an asshole, there's something going on. Right.
1: Yeah. I hope
0: he doesn't hear this. But <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Sober now, you know, Jeremy's sober now. Um, yeah. and anyway, even if he is, he's probably too drunk to comprehend it. So, uh, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you're talking about this form of meditation that you do in the mirror. Where, where did you learn this? And is this, what's keeping you sober today?
1: yeah so i'm certified in tai chi qigong through john fritz in juno beach at the healing arts center who i've trained with since i was probably about 14 years old um i still do some uh zoom stuff with him but um yeah i, I got my black belt from fred Villari uh there in south florida and then uh began in, in the art of shaolin Kempo karate and and kept my studies going uh, i got certified in tai chi now i uh well up until i had shoulder surgery i was i, I was training uh my best friend fights in the UFC and owns a gym here. And I, I was training with those guys two days, uh, two times a day, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu, uh, straight up MMA training, striking and everything. And when I had shoulder surgery, I've had to cool it down a little bit. I got uh, invited to uh, lift here. Uh, it's really the Mecca for powerlifting in the entire country. It's called Westside Barbell. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I just, I just keep myself like entertained with extreme activities. You know, like, I, you know how it is, you know, I'm a, I'm a high sensory person. And you know, when life gets boring, that's when you get in trouble. we can't, I
0: mean, especially like, so it was like this for me too, because when you start life, when you're 18 and, you know, doing things like, going backstage at Pearl Jam concerts and interviewing Dave Grohl from the (laughs) Foo Fighters and shit, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to just like, you know, chill and watch Netflix and just stay, stay, stay calm. It, it it really is. I mean, I try and explain that to people all the time. It's like, listen, you know, I, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I need excitement because the beginning of my life was crazy and insane you know now not to get me wrong there's still times where i just want my chill time and that's why you know meditation's so important to me you know because that's sure that, that, that is what taught me how to enjoy that because before it was just constantly bouncing off walls that's that's all i knew how to do was bounce off walls and i think that everyone that's an addict just has that fire in their belly that that's why we use you know it's almost like we're just trying to anesthetize anesthetize is that how you pronounce it and,
1: and- yeah yeah no i know what you're saying I, I i don't think like you gotta stay busy you know what i mean like you gotta you gotta have that that drive and something and to fill it with not just to have the drive but to actually have that vehicle to put the energy of the drive into it's, you know like you're one of the most talented people i've ever worked with and uh, it's just like there's radio stations all over the country that need you today you know and well call up jared uh, tell them uh, i'm
0: tell I'm, uh... I, I i'm telling <laughs> you
1: because people that listen they, they don't realize you know what i mean like you were when it comes to the radio you were a black yeah yeah, yeah 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 all right all right um
0: so <laughs> <laughs> yeah well as as i sit at home you know Eat, eating my uh, bonbons out of work for fuck frigging 10 years, but that's all right. That's because of my mugshot that was plastered all over now.
1: But you know that it, it's one phone call though, you know, it's one phone call and you get that phone call and you're, and you're back tomorrow. And the cool thing is, is it's as if no time has passed for someone like you. I remember when you first came to work at the buzz, everyone on the staff was like, Holy shit. <laughs> Have you heard the girl? that's all Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was like, you know, it's something that no one had ever heard before. And, and people with that level of talent, it's, uh, it doesn't take long. To yeah, I know.
0: That. And, and that's cool. And thank you. I I appreciate it. I really do. Um, and yeah, I would love to get back on the air in the meantime. I, I love, you know, what, what I'm doing now. And like you said, keeping busy, what I need to do in my life right now, what keeps me sober, what I have to do is I have to, Fill my soul with soul food, and I'm not sure. Like, listen, going on the air and being on the radio and everything is great. It's it's awesome, and it, it paid the bills. Like, what I do now doesn't pay the bills. That shit paid the bills, but now it it it, it feeds my soul. What I do, you know, like right. getting up in the morning. Yeah. This is how I stay sober. I get up in the morning. Um, you know, I I do my physical exercise, workout, take care of my temple, my body. I, I meditate, which is my exercise for my soul. And I do put Alcoholics Anonymous in, in the mix. Now, not everybody has to. I know it's not a one size fits all. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, you have to go to AA. I'm not. I'm, I'm just friggin' not because it's not one size fits all. And for years, AA didn't work for me. I think this time around, the reason why it works for me is because... I really and oh my god, I'm gonna sound like such a geek, Jeremy. Please, I'm so sorry, and I'm not <laughs> trying to, blame. but like I met somebody and I met this chick and I got into the big book, and like it's it's like sometimes I go to an AA meeting and I just want to friggin' throw up. I'm so bored, and it, it, there's some bitch in there whining about her, you know, her shit, and it's like, how is that gonna keep me sober? All you're doing is depressing me. I need a solution. You know what I mean? So the big book. It it basically is like just uh directions on how to keep crazy alcoholics sober. And it, it just it's it's laid right out there. I know it was written in 1935 and so it's like weird language and everything, but um it just tells me when I read it, it's just it's it, it tells me exactly what to do, how not to be a crazy friggin' psycho drinking and, and using drugs. Absolutely so I when I found the big book and I I delved into the big book. That's what did it for me. And you know, my meditation and also I'm really going to freak everyone out because people hate when I say this, but my crystals holding the energy
1: of my crystals keeps me sober. Oh my God. My wife would love to talk to you about that. <laughs> She's all about her stones. Oh no that, yeah.
0: It used to be my crack rocks. Now it's my crystal rocks. Seriously. Uh, so yeah, just another thing on Randy real quick. So I, how, how did, I would love to have her on the air and ask and get her side of it. You mentioned you would love to have my okay. son on the air or, uh, you know, to see, how, yeah, I would love right? to hear how, you know, how Randy handled it and what she, how, how it was for her. Because we also, we talk about all types of addiction and there's codependency. How was it for her? And did she have any, um, you know, uh, bearing on you after the six months saying I've had enough
1: definitely. Uh, But she was more just kind of unaware in the very beginning. She didn't really know what to look for. She wasn't looking for anything. She just thought, Oh, okay, cool. You can handle it now. Great. You know, she hasn't ever been around addiction like that. So she didn't really know what to expect. And if it was even that big of a deal, because I was able to downplay it to a certain extent where, you know, no one was on high Mm -hmm. alert. And so I think, Obviously, that would never work again, but uh i, I you know I, there was a there was a part of me that felt terrible because obviously I knew I had deceived you know, and I had to explain to her that that is a part of the entire process that you don't realize that you can't handle it, and then you know because i honestly i, I going into it i mean I was dead set thought I you know hey, it's been so long, I bet I can handle it. I was a kid then what mm-hmm. are you talking about? I'm an adult now. This will be easy. Yeah. yeah. The disease yeah. that tells us we don't have the disease. Yes. And I never had to embarrass myself in front of my kids. Like that's what I can't express to everyone enough is like, you know, I just didn't have to do that. And I did though. And so I, if there's anybody out there that doesn't have to do it for me, do it for yourself. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean the the damage that we do to our children, it's just, Irreparable. You cannot take it back. Um, and as a mother of a 16-year-old that was brought up in an alcoholic and drug-addicted dysfunctional family, my son is a result of it, and he's a great kid. But, you know, I did serious damage to that child, and we love each other very much, and we're very open about it, and we talk about it. But absolutely, you know, I mean, it, it... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just—it's very easy to say, just don't do it. You know, it's very easy to say, but we—we we do. We—we—we we, we kill our kids with with this disease. It's just.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely true, and that's and that's the tough part. You know, it all starts out with. Fun stories about Motley Crue concerts and ends with that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It start. It start right. It started with the Van
0: Halen tour bus and ended with my son being in you know therapy five days a week, not going to school, and you know, being depressed with no friends. Hey, anyway, ah, I like that, journey. That's true, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, basically, your sobriety is keeping busy. It's your martial arts, playing a horrible golf game.
1: Yes, you're playing a terrible golf game. <laughs> And I, I just, I, I, yeah, I just, what I do every day is I really, cause there are days like where, you know, it gets a little frustrating, you know, sometimes when uh, you get those feelings of why can't I be like everybody else? You know, if there's anybody out there that feels like they get those feelings and you're like, am I the only person that feels like this? You're definitely not. Um, I hate those feelings because I hate to feel like, like a jealous person. I think that's such a, such a weak Mm -hmm. quality, but you know, it's, but it's true i mean everyone feels like that you feel like uh, man why can't i be the guy that just have a couple of yeah. drinks a couple of drinks is something that i have no idea what that world is yeah we don't want like. a couple I mean, of drinks i don't want <laughs> just one
0: <Yeah.
1: laughs> the person that has able to have two drinks fuck yeah. you okay yeah. <laughs> That's like i'm there for the night we're camped out you know the, the the initial sitting I'm everybody's buddy but it's the uh it's the hours that come after that that are so sad mm-hmm. and you know I just think it's so important to stay on top of it you know like you said uh I, I you don't ever you know I don't encourage anyone to ever do what I do because I think that this whole thing is so in it's it's such an individualistic sort of uh feeling and and meaning to you that you have to take your sobriety uh, every moment. they say day by day, but I mean, hell hour Mm -hmm. by hour, like when I was at Hanley Hazleton, that was the reason I got sober is because of the program. So I I don't want anyone to ever think that I am ever down talking to the program because I don't go every day or all the time. Um, It's the things that I learned at Hanley Hazleton um, around that fountain and walking (laughs) the the track (laughs) uh eating that starchy food <laughs> yeah. um i i was able to take all of those all of that knowledge that i had no idea why they were putting me there when i was 21 mm. at 28 when it was time to put it down all of that knowledge yeah. was there and i had it and i was able to access it and uh sometimes that's very valuable so like you know if there's anyone that has a family member that's been through a struggle and you think like, well, I've paid for rehab twice and they don't get it. Trust that when they do finally get it, the knowledge might right. be there. The, uh, and, and I, the, and, seed, yeah. the
0: seed is planted. The seed is planted. Sometimes it, it takes what it takes. And unfortunately, this is a terrible thing to say. But, you know, I say, you know, some of us just, I, I'm not going to say what I was going to say, but some of us are going to make it and some of us are not you know, I can't tell you how many people I've lost in, in the process. And I mean, Jeremy's the last man standing in radio out of all of us. I'm, and I'm the last man standing, um, with, with my group of people that I used to party with, like they're all dead.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's sad. It it really is. You know, you look around and, and and I, and I I feel the same way, like all of the, the people, you know, it's, uh, uh, yeah. Like when you think of the people that yeah. are around, uh, and that's, and that's a real thing. So, you know, if there's anybody on the edge out there, uh, you know, I definitely, uh, hang on. Yeah. This more disease day.
0: don't play. And, you know, just a uh, couple other points I want to make. If, um, you know, you're not hooked in with AA, you don't know uh, a way to go, you know, just, you just Google it. There's zoom meetings now too. And, um, you could just reach out to somebody, or if you know somebody, if you're a parent listening and you don't know what to do, and your your child's struggling, and you think your child's an alcoholic, and you don't know, just just don't be quiet. We just went through uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. Just use your voice. That's all I'm saying. What, whatever you just yeah. use your voice. Yeah. Don't hold back. Don't hold it in because that's when that's when you that's when you get hurt. Um,
1: you rock, Jeremy. You rock my world. Hey, I, I, this has been so fun. It's such a great trip down memory <laughs> lane. And, uh, I, I want to let all your listeners know that they're really lucky that, uh, they, they tuned into this oh podcast. Oh my God.
0: Tell them where uh, they could hear you. Okay. So where you could hear the other side of Jeremy rocking and playing the rock and roll and, and you could hear Randy <laughs> and everything in the morning. They can listen to you online, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, we're like you can you can find the podcast like everywhere you get them, iTunes, you can find it on iHeartRadio, we're on uh, Spotify, but if you go to loper l o p e r and randy r a n d i.com, loper and randy, they can get everything, all their social media, the, the podcast, our we have a blog channel on YouTube, people can watch, so Awesome.
0: Yeah, Let's the Blitz ball.
1: in Columbus. The Blitz in Columbus. All right hey so uh, if you're if you're in ohio you got absolutely
0: you'll have actually now now just so i can get my radio debut again i'm gonna take a trip to columbus just so maybe some some someone will (laughs) hear me it'll it'll just you know kickstart my career again (laughs) anyway Jer, stay well stay well Send my love to randy and uh we'll talk soon sober exposure jennifer wilde thank you family Need more? Well, get addicted to Sober Exposure. You can subscribe to MindBodySpirit.fm or check me out on my website at SoberExposure.show. Everything you need to know, also on Instagram at Sober underscore podcast.